listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Good morning! I was uh, holding the sword as the band was helping me with my table, and Brittany just looked at me and laughed. And I said, I'm going to start carrying this around the office for now on. just makes me feel good. Good morning and welcome to a brand new series. Oh, right, right. It looks great. Yeah. And, uh, and so, welcome to a brand new series called A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Go pull out that little booklet. If you are watching online, still share this feed socially so people get the good news. Uh, the, the series that we were in, Armor Up, phenomenal and 10 out of 10, and it was our plan to switch to a new series but stay on the topic of the armor of God. Why call it Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare? The Apostle Paul is turning a corner in the armor of God. The next several pieces of armor are really the practical how-to, down-to-earth, how do we win these battles in real time? How does a baby Christian do it? How does a seasoned Christian do it? How do you get out of a funk? Those type of things we need to know. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so what we're going to be talking about today is the sword of the Spirit. I need to make my Facebook picture this. I don't know. This is great, everybody. So I don't know. Does it still manly if I put it like this? Come on, Braveheart. Eat your heart out. If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We've been reading it for several weeks. If you are a first-time visitor or maybe you didn't catch last month, this message will stand on its own for sure. But if you want to watch any of those past messages, go to newchapel.com slash watch, and you can kind of keep up with some of the other pieces of the armor of God. Paul is writing in prison. A Roman Praetorian uh, soldier is right next to him, and he's using the symbolism of the actual armor that this Roman soldier is wearing to give us deep spiritual truth about the attire we're supposed to wear in God. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Say amen, somebody. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't use the word wiles very much. I think Looney Tunes kind of ruin that with wily coyote. Uh, Maybe your translation says schemes. That would be a great translation to be stand against the schemes of the devil. That you might be able to withstand in the evil day. We brought it out to you in living color last month and in that whole series that the evil day is here. You're living in it. The world's lost its mind. And in fact, sometimes when it realizes it lost its mind, it course corrects, but we all kind of know. You know what I'm saying? And so we're seeing this in real time. It is no mystery. But also, personally, evil day is going to come and knock on every single person's door. No one is immune from that. So the Bible says that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, stand in the evil day. It says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the sword of the Spirit uh, it can be confusing because there were several Roman uh, swords in the time that Paul was writing this, one of which would have been considered a long sword, and it would have been massive. You wouldn't have been able to have a shield on you. You'd have to hold the sword alone with both hands. It would have been longer than the sword that I had here today, huge, heavy, massive sword. 
Uh, they also had another sword, and they called it a sword, but it was short. It was like a, a dagger, and it was both for utility, kind of like a guy with a knife in his pockets worth a buck more an hour, you know what I mean? But it also was for combat. They could use it in war. But I'll also say this. Uh, the, the sword that Paul was using, in fact, the Greek word for it is makaria, it is literally and directly talking about a specific Roman sword, and that was the medium-range sword, and it was for hand-to-hand combat. Now, they would not fight against one another like pirates and kind of clash swords back and forth. That was not their real method of fighting. It wasn't like that. Uh, however, they would come into combat, and they would try to fight, and they would try to go into direct combat with this spe- uh, specific sword. The sword would fit into a sheath or a scabbard that was in the belt. Remember that. That'll play in to this message a little bit later. But uh, with this particular sword, uh, it was not used for massive blows. So picture like this big old sword, even longer. They had that long one, and it was almost like a baseball bat when it would hit you. But you really couldn't do that if you were going against another uh, army or an opponent that was well-armored. Okay, it really wouldn't work. So the shorter sword was for the closer combat, and uh, it's it's pretty significant. So it had a blade on both sides, similar to the sword I just showed you. It was a double-edged sword, but at the end of it, it had a gut hook. Not to get too graphic, but I didn't write this. The Apostle Paul did. When they would get into a fight, they would they would try to jab you one, twist and pull. Battle's over, everybody. Like that's. Now, now listen, you're like, ew, grow. I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul used that particular sword on purpose. And there's something I want you to see with it today. Now, the sword of the Spirit has to do with the Word of God. Now, that might sound to you very similar to the belt of truth. It's a little bit different. We'll get into that today. But write this down. The Holy Spirit has been assigned to help you remember the written Word of God. John's Gospel, chapter 14, let me read it for you. The Helper, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things, Jesus is saying this, and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. When I hit 30, a lot of things changed in my life. My focus changed, my metabolism changed, and I can't remember all the stuff I used to be able to. My wife thinks that space aliens have come and abducted Joe Bevilacqua and replaced it with this mild, happy guy because I was so detail-oriented. I saw everything at once. And, and, and so what I've realized is this. As I've gotten a little older, I've progressed. I'm not confessing anything negative. I'm just saying that my memory has changed. But I take heart in that because this passage says this. You don't have to remember all of it, though there is an element of this, Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the Word of God, the words that Jesus has spoke to us. It's it's pretty significant. And by the way, you don't have to know the whole Bible in order to have this work for you. People think you've got to have whole chapters and whole sections of the Bible. Well, do you have the Pentateuch memorized, Pastor Joe? I really don't. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I don't have all that memorized, but I have some key things memorized, and I know where to get my way around inside the book. You know what I'm saying? So it's completely different. Having a little bit, sometimes there's a lot in this case. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I rededicated my life to Christ. I believe I accepted Christ when I was four, but I got serious about it at 17. And I found myself in a relationship with a girl. She was great. I think she probably still is great. I really don't know her now. But in the relationship, 
I had this holy unrest, especially when I started taking ground with God and, and progressing in my faith. I, I had this unrest, like this isn't right. And the thing that popped up in me came from when I was very young. How many of y'all were maybe raised in a Baptist church and they made you memorize a lot of the Bible? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I had to memorize so much. And this, this scripture verse rose up in my heart, do not be unequally yoked. Now, she was a believer, meaning a Christian, but she wasn't, she wasn't on the journey that I was on. She works in the secular world now. And so I, I know this. I, I, I know that I was called in the ministry, and I had to go someplace, and we were unequally yoked, and it wasn't right. Now, I felt like I needed to do the honorable thing, so I went up to her, and, and I said, listen, it's, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> but I said, I want to tell you something. I didn't come from a background that had a lot of good examples of marriage. And I said, you're not my wife. And I said, I think you know that. And so what God spoke to my heart after he gave that scripture was this, that, Joe, you're not, you're not to date for two years. Now think of that. At the time that I made that decision, I was 18. I'm a blue-blooded American boy. I mean, I was in the best shape of my life. Bring it back, God. You know, and I look, I look good. <laughs> I just did, and, and those days are dead and gone. But anyway, I, I, I knew that I was, not, I was not husband material, and so I told her something. I said, I know that I'm not supposed to date for two years. And you know what's cool is this. I can, anytime I see her, I can smile at her. I could shake her hand. I could hug her neck because I never embarrassed myself with how I treated her. And number two, when I said I'm breaking up with you, it's not you, it's me, and I'm going to take two years, I might be the only human being in history that actually took the two years. At the end of the two years, I found myself going up into that children's check-in where Kaya's dad was the children's pastor because Kaya was working that check-in table. I saw that cute girl up there. Two years later, there was my wife. I had, I, I'm not perfect, but I'd qualified myself enough to get married, you see. And so here's what I'm trying to say. What God spoke to my heart, what the Holy Spirit had bubble up in me was do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And I heard it and it brought me peace because I knew what I was supposed to do. And thank God I listened to that. Thank God I, I, I went along with that. The idea is this. When you hear those little itsy bitsy words or you have this little, this little nudge towards a certain way, don't ignore those. Don't feel like if it's God, he's going to say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, why does it sound like James Earl Jones? Verse 2, you know, go through Romans 8, you go through the whole chapter. God doesn't do that. From my experience and from my study of the word, and that's the most important thing, he doesn't roll out, here's Isaiah, let's see what sticks. No, he gives pointed scriptures along the way. Write it down. The Holy Spirit will bring simple verses, simple verses to your memory, your remembrance. You'll remember simple things. It doesn't have to be long, expansive passages. Wow. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, if you've never read that account, I encourage you, it's in Luke's gospel, but Jesus was tempted by Satan. He didn't go after him and start quoting long, expansive verses. He gave pointed responses, and it was a verse or two. I mean, at one point, Satan's trying to tempt him to throw himself off from a mountain. He says, you should not tempt the Lord your God. That's all he says. And as he says these things, it was only three hits that the devil gave, and then all of a sudden, you see Satan flee away 
for a more opportune time. Jesus won, not because he quoted long passages of poetry to the devil. It's because he had a verse that was in season. It's like, bam! And I got to tell you, the Holy Spirit brought it to Jesus' memory. He said, I do nothing on my own fruition. The things I see my father do, I do. In other words, God was speaking to him about that. And what did Jesus say was going to happen to you? I will have my Holy Spirit speak to you and bring all things to your memory, your remembrance. That's key. It's massive. When I think about the Roman uh, uh, sword that they would have, this this middle-length sword in combat, uh, as they would fight with it, again, they wouldn't have the big blow. They were looking for a good jab. That's really how you would win the battle. There was a historian, a famous historian in the 4th century, uh, Vegetus, and he was a Roman historian. This is what he said. This is about Roman warfare. A stroke with the edges, though, made with ever so much force, seldom kills, as the vital parts of the body are defended by both bones and the armor. The men are now looking at the women right now being like, I think we found the right church. Okay. What is he saying? And I'm not trying to be graphic or just teach on warfare, but what he's trying to say is that the person that has that, that one side of the blade and they just want to whap you, it doesn't really work like that unless they are unarmed or they don't have armor on. And he says it's both the armor and then also if you give them just one blow like that, even still, it's not guaranteed to even cut them all the way. They have bony tissue and you're not going to be able to get through the things you learn at New Chapel. He continues, and he says this, On the contrary, a stab, though it penetrates just two inches, is generally fatal. Two inches. You don't need chapters and chapters and chapters, just the two inches of one verse and a good pop with it in a good opportune place. That's what you need. That should bring a lot of freedom to those of you that are baby Christians just starting out. I don't know all the Bible. How do you want me to get on with it? That's how you do it. You get a couple of of weapons, get a couple of bullets in your gun, you know, and fire them at the devil. And I'm talking about speaking the word. Now, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, here's what I found. Maybe you found it to be true too. It's never a big, loud, booming voice. I wish it was. I'm... (laughs) I'm dense. I need this clear. When I read the Bible, I got to read it and read it. Let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Like I, If you want me to understand it, I got to understand it. I wish that it was like you're driving down the highway and a big semi with a banner on it could tell you, this is what I want you to do, son. But God doesn't speak that way. Here's how he speaks. And I want to show it to you out of the Bible. Uh, Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he was having some major victories, but he found himself at a spot where he was a little bit down. He's a little bit depressed. God wanted to be the lifter of his head, and so he goes to Mount Sinai. I'll read it for you in 1 Kings 19. The Bible says this. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After a fire, a still, small voice. Verse 13, so it was when, and that's the operative word here, when Elijah heard it, God was speaking. Oftentimes God is speaking in our lives, but when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face and he went and stood in the entrance cave and suddenly a voice came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
Here's the picture of what God is trying to do. We think it's supposed to be in the earthquake. It's supposed to be massive, and we want the, the clear as a semi-truck banner, right? We, we think it should be inside the fire. Like, give me that fire. Come on, show me something awesome, and we want the word. And You know, guys, I've had, a, I've had a word from God given to me by somebody else a couple of times in my whole Christian life. With those hands were on you, and I'll tell you, it is oxygen. But some of the most powerful moments I've had with God is when I was alone or in a, in a small group of other people and the Lord spoke and we all knew. And I'm not talking about audibly. I'm talking about much louder than that. And so what you see here is that God doesn't necessarily speak to us bigly like what we'd like. Often he gives you something very small. His word comes back to you as small as a seed. Jesus said, this is the kingdom of God. It is seed time and harvest. It is a seed. A man plants a seed. And so I want you to think of this. When you plant a seed in the ground and there's dirt over it, the dirt outweighs the seed a thousand to one, yeah? But it's not a bad thing because we understand how it works. That seed is going to shake and quake, respond to it. It actually will leverage all that dirt around it and make it a root system for it so it can go up. It's actually something that will feed it as it's growing. Nobody ever gets discouraged. You don't go out and see some of those apple orchard men when they put apple seeds in the ground to have their little sproutlings over there in those greenhouses. They don't go, oh, planting the seed. They get all sad. No, nobody ever does that. That would be weird. But when they, when they plant a seed or plant a corn seed or anything, it's not a funeral because we know how the seed works and we know what God is going to do. Jesus said that's how the kingdom of God works. Here's what I'm trying to say. We can't underestimate when a small word comes from God. God can take one verse, one seed, if you will, and change your whole circumstance. Write it down and I'll explain it. God often, often, more than I'd like, starts little. Yet, God always ends big. He, he, he starts so small sometimes because he's not trying to prove anything to anybody. He starts it with just a seed. But yet at the same time as the seed is planted, he always ends with this grand finale, and you're like, where did that come from? How's that happening? People have been saying, Pastor Joe, man, the church seems like it's growing just overnight. Yeah, sure, eight years, and we finally got some traction, you know? <laughs> you see, it's seed. Time harvest, right? And so, so the seed process is so important that we understand. Now think about it. God wants to save the world. How does he do it? Does he send an army? Baby. Well, to a rich family, poor family. To a nice house, he's born a stable. <laughs> well, to a lot of influence, he had no influence. He was born in obscurity. Guys, at the same time, Jesus is the redeemer of the whole world. But God has no problem with starting super, super small, little. And when you're going through hell, I feel a country song coming on. <laughs> when you're going through it, you need to not get upset because the thing you hear is really small. Like, oh, no, I don't need that. I need, I need the lotto anointing for this, for this bill. God, like, I don't need that. I need the lotto, you know. No, don't discount the seed that's in your heart because God wants to put that seed, and it's the seed into your victory. That's what God's trying to do. Now, I got to move on. The sword has 
two edges, and this is a huge deal. That is alluded to in the Greek word that's used in Ephesians 6, but all over the Bible you'll read about this concept. Let me show you. Revelation 1.16, Jesus had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth, everybody say the word mouth? mouth. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Revelation 2.12, these things says, everybody say the word says? These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, all of the armor of God fits together. It's all meant to be part of one ensemble. And so when we started this whole thing five weeks ago, talking about the armor of God, we talked about the belt of truth. It is the word of God. It helps tighten your mind so it doesn't wonder. And so when I say that the the sword of the spirit is the word of God as well, it can be confusing. But listen to me. There's two different words at play. I'm going to show you this first with two-edged. The word two-edged in Greek is distamos. You're welcome. And it's made of die, which means two, in stamo. So literally, when you read the Bible and it says two-edged, it's actually saying two-mouthed. It's not saying two-edged. It's using that because of the analogy of the sword. It means two-mouthed. Stomos means mouth. Die, stomos, double-mouthed, two-mouthed. But it doesn't mean talking out of both sides of your mouth, something else. Ephesians 6.18, I'm going to read it one more time about the sword of the Spirit, and then I'll show you. Take the sword of the Spirit, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why wouldn't they call it the sword of the Word of God? Big deal. I'm going to show you. There's two Bible words for the Word of God. Maybe take a picture of this with your phone. And this is not too deep. You'll get this in a second. Logos is the first word, and here's what it means. The revealed will of God. In a word, it's the black and white, maybe sometimes red edition, right? of the Bible. That's Logos. It's the written word. It's the revealed word. This is 66 books, the Bible. Do y'all believe the Bible at New Chapel? I, I believe it so much, I even believe the maps, okay? Like that Logos. <laughs> Logos is the written word of God. Rhema. Everybody say the word rhema. Rhema means that which is spoken. It's the spoken word of God. So here's the, here's the picture I want you to see. The written word of God is the belt of truth. It's how you restrain your thought life. But when you have the sword of the spirit, that is the spoken word of God, the rhema of God. It's totally different altogether. You do not have the sword of the spirit until you begin to speak the word. That's the truth. Remember the Roman sword, it went into the scabbard on the belt. Everything we say needs to be based in God's word. In the logos. It needs to be based in what God said. And then when you say it, it is rhema. So see, it has a place. It all fits together, but it is different. It has a different function. Our speech needs to be anchored in God's better word that he says. And don't forget, Jesus' sword, what does it say in Revelations? It came out of his mouth, a double-edged sword. Remember that. Now, write this down. When God said the word, that's one edge of your sword. Here's where you're going to get it. When I say the word, that's the second edge. Now, you say, well, isn't God's word sufficient? Can't God's word do it? Okay. If a demon's running after you and you throw a Bible at it, that won't help. (laughs) It's just not going to help you. The, the, the word of God is strong enough, 
But it's got to be applied. It doesn't get applied through you quietly just reading it to the problem. It gets applied by you reading it, getting it inside of you, and then speaking it out loud. That's the double edge. One edge is what's written. But you ever wonder, why is it sort of the spirit? You give spirit, you give life to the word of God because it gets in you, renews your mind, and then you speak it, and that's the change. So it comes out, and it's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Do you see it? Now, I would love it if we could just take our Bibles and throw it at our problems, but I have the sneaking suspicion that your boss would have a black eye tomorrow. (laughs) You might have one as well. And and it just doesn't work that way. In fact, sometimes I, I think about, remember that movie, The Exorcist, back in the 70s? Why do they call the Catholics every time that happens? I'm all about the Catholic guys. I mean, that's great. Made for a great movie. But I'm going to tell you, call the non-denominational evangelical guy. (laughs) Pastor Joe shows up, an old girl starts puking on me. Number one, turn her over my lap. You're getting a spanking. That's not how that's going to play out. (laughs) What's your name? How many of the... I'm not asking her any of those questions. I'm going to look at that little girl and say, shut up and come out in Jesus' name. You see, it's the spoken word. It's speaking God's word. We have to let God's word come out of our mouth. The scripture doesn't have power in your life against Satan until you speak it. Wow. That's what Jesus did when he resisted the devil. The Holy Spirit bubbled up that little seed. He spoke it, and it was a sharp two-edged sword, and it was cut, 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 and that, that joker ran. I'm telling you, if you could see it in the Spirit, Satan ran from him. The Holy Spirit brought that word. Wow, that's how you have bite. That's how you, listen, can I put it this way? That's how you gut them. Do you see why that was important? It's, it's not you having one side. The Bible! It's you just two inches. You don't have to know all of it. Just a good pow. He don't like it because he knows you'll gut them. Apparently, when we speak the word of God, it scares the daylights out of the devil. James 4 and verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Flee in Greek means to run from as in terror. What? What are you talking about? I'm from Sparta. The devil's not going to run from me. I'm I'm from Comstock Park. The devil ain't going to run. Listen to me. Devil will run from you. I'm just a baby Christian. I'm new to this thing. He'll run from you. As in terror. And, and, and listen, it's because you got a sword with a gut hook. When you speak God's word, it is powerful. You're not resisting the devil in your own strength. By ourselves, we can do nothing, let me assure you. But when you have the power of God, you speak that word, I'm telling you, it makes him run. Write it down. When a born-again believer speaks the word of God, it has the same power on it as though God was speaking it himself. Why? Well, no, if I'm speaking God's word, it's got to be down a couple blocks because I know what I did today. I know I did this week. I know how I live. It doesn't. You're putting too much emphasis on you. The power's on the word of God. That needs to free somebody. Because you think you're factored out of this because you live in ways you know that you're old enough to know that you shouldn't in some ways. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be perfect to take a step with Jesus. He'll meet you where you're at. The power's on the word of God. The power's not on you. You speak that word of God and you're a born-again believer. It's like God Almighty is speaking it into this world. What's the difference? It's what we call it, the word of 
God, there are, there are too many people that sell themselves short. And you see that now. God has more. Okay, i got to move on. Next thing I want to say is this. There are too many parrots in the forest. Uh, let me explain what I mean by this. When we start out in our walk with God, uh, you are probably going to parrot or copy somebody else. And before you think I'm being heavy on that, I'm not. It's a good thing. I did the same thing. And you're going to see how somebody else prays or, you know, they might have some pocket scriptures and, and you're talking, well, what, what did they say? What did Bessie say? What did, uh, Kaya said this one. Take that, you know, and, and you, you're trying to remember and, and you have a secondhand faith in, in a way because you're, you're sampling to try to mimic. And, uh, and it's a good thing, but if it's not in your heart, you're going to miss out a little bit there. there there's more that God has. Romans 10 and verse 8. Let me read this for you. What does it say, the Bible says? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Okay. Now, I've emphasized in this message the fact that God wants you to say it with your mouth. And I do, and God does. But if it's not, this scripture really kind of turns it inside out. If it's not in your heart, it's not going to be in your mouth, is it? And so... There's got to come a time where you start to take responsibility for yourself and learn, learn the words to the part yourself, learn, learn the narrative yourself. My daughter's a year and a half old, and she's perfect uh, in every way. She's beautiful. I'm sure your daughter's very nice. Um, <laughs> my daughter, though, is amazing, and so she's having this like word explosion right now. It's so cool. And, uh, and so you, you say, hi, Vera. Do you, want, do you want to come over here and, and, and play with toys? You know, she'll go, yes, like that. It's like, okay, you know, like it's just, it's amazing. And then, and then, but Kai, she went out and did some errands one day. And, and so I spend time with my kids. It's not babysitting. I'm a father difference. And so I'm being a father and I've, I, I go in and she's waking up from a nap and I do this thing. I go, I know a little girl. I know a very good little girl. And she'll pop up. Da-da! And I grab my little girl and I hold her. And she says, Knack! Knack! I have no idea what she's trying to inch at. Knack! And I'm, I'm getting the idea. She wants lunch. She doesn't call lunch lunch. She calls it a snack, but she can't say snack. She calls it a knack. And it's adorable. And... So I fed her whatever she wanted and <laughs> didn't tell Kaya until right now. But, <laughs> you know, it's awesome, and she's growing and everything. But if we're, if we're like, you know, several years down the road, if, if Vera's 10 years old and we get to a restaurant, like, well, what do you want to have to eat, little girl? And she says, knack. We have a problem. There's going to have to come a point in Vera's life where she looks at the waitress and says, cheeseburger. Are, listen, some of y'all been saved for 10 years, and you, you love God. You'll bop up when he calls your name, but you're yelling knack at God because you heard somebody else do it, and, and God wants you to have some forward motion. God wants, God wants you to know those things. Yeah, praise God. It's time. That's what it is. You have to grow in your vocabulary. You can't just parrot what other people have done. And, and the reason why people get into these little slumps is because they don't spend time in the Word. I have that Bible app. Who has that Bible app? 
How many of y'all have started something on the Bible app and never finished it? Shame the devil and tell the truth. <laughs> Who has finished something in the room of the Bible app? That guy. You. Great. I think we got five. God bless you. I've, started st- I've never finished one thing that I started on the Bible app. And I have my own reading thing. You know, when the heck do you read, right? Like, I do my own thing. And, and uh, at the same time, I can't do it on a phone. I can't do it on the app. I need the paper. And I believe that the U version is a good thing. But I would tell you this. Even the people that are behind that, Life Church, they would tell you it doesn't replace a paper Bible. Ushers, if we come forward right now with some Bibles, if you don't have a paper Bible, let's just say you're moving and you don't know where it is. For whatever reason, you've never had a Bible. Lift your hands right now. We have free Bibles for everybody. Free Bibles. It's please, please, please lift your hands. We need to get these out. Let's just say you know somebody, okay? You want to gift it. Lift your hand. You want to gift a Bible. Right there. Want to gift the Bible. Perfect. Somebody broke the ice. We're over there, second row. Other people. Yeah, great. These are a gift to you from the partners of New Chapel. Thank you. You need to get you a Bible that you can turn to that you can write notes in. Don't get your family Bible out there and be like, oh, nothing could ever touch this, you know. (laughs) Mm. Let me tell you my heritage, you know, from the Netherlands. (laughs) You see this art sacred to our family. You need a Bible that you can get a highlighter and highlight it and write notes write prayers. You hear me? Don't get you a showpiece. You don't need a showpiece. You need a paper Bible. Back when I rededicated my life to Christ, 2004, if I would have said Ephesians 6, you would hear, because all over the room, what if we were that church? I'm not casting shade on you if you bring the U version up in my sanctuary. Like, listen, I'm not upset, but I'm just saying we can't replace the Bible with an app. The Bible's not an app. You need to get into the word of God and get it in you and begin to memorize those things and get it in you. Because listen, if you are one of those people that are stunted in your growth and you've been saved 10, 20 years and you don't know but one scripture, I'm telling you, we just read it. The evil day is going to come. The devil will knock at your door. And if all you know is, ah, what am I supposed to say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth on him should not perish but have ever like, Well, great. You're going to go to heaven, but you're going to get killed in this battle. Guys, there's more. There's more ammunition. There's something better you can fight with. God has not left you without recourse. You can fight against this. And you have to know everything. You just need, you need some ammunition to fight against the enemy. Guys, we need to learn the word of God and get it to be part of our lives. I'd be so happy if you just learned one verse a week. I mean, my Lanta, I'd be so happy if you learned one verse a month and really get it in you. I got this. I got this online. It will change your life. It will change your life. I got to move on. We need to learn the value of some pointed stabs at the enemy. Some of us, when we speak, we speak in agreement with what the enemy says. Or worse, the enemy doesn't need to do anything. You're doing the job for him. Some of us are so self-depreciating. Some of us say the most evil and rank things. I mean, your husband says that you look nice, and you just you can't even hear it. You've got to change the whole atmosphere in the room. That's you. 
Somebody says something, hey, you're a great artist, and you have to cast shade on yourself. That is not humility. That is the worst version of pride because it's a version of pride that you, th- you think you're taking refuge in the humility tree, and you're not. You're arrogant. Somebody compliments you, learn to say thank you. God's good. Thank you. I've worked hard at this. Some of you, we can't say anything positive right because you will chop it down so quick. We can't even go there. Friend, be free in Jesus' name. And, and while you're at it, those are the things that we just say about ourselves. Don't cooperate with something you might have had an impression that the enemy has said to you or maybe something uh, someone else spoke over you. Don't cooperate with that junk. We need to learn to have some pointed stabs at the enemy. So here's what it looks like. With as bad as I've been, with as far as I've gone, with how I've been exploited even in my sin, God can't use me. No. Everybody say the word no. No. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever God calls for in my life, I can do that. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Do you see that no? When you hear things, and it bobs up in your ear, you hear it in your heart, and it's not God's word, you got to have a steady and strong no to reject that. I was the most weak, weak, you know, tremendously weak person. But this gave me backbone. And it's not Joe Bevelock was moxie. It's the power of God that I have the ability to say no to things. I don't have to receive everything that falls in my lap. Everything bad always happens to me. No. God has a plan for my life. It's good and not evil. Plans to give me a future and a hope. And it's not a hope like this world. It is a hope that endures throughout generations. I'm not going to be lit down in this hope. God, you've given me hope. No, I'm not going to receive that. Well, we're never going to get out of debt. No, the book of Romans says that I can owe no man anything but the debt of eternal love. We're going to get out of debt. Well, our family's always been in debt. We've never gone to college. No, I am not who my ancestors were. I stand before God myself. And God says he has a call on my life. And God says we can get out of this junk. Some of you grew up in abject poverty. Some of you grew up in, in, in strange situations where there was ab- abuse in, in, in the worst ways. And you can break those generational curses, but it's not going to be behind you beginning to cast shade on yourself and thinking you're awful as, an, as a person that was abused. You have to somehow have the strength in Jesus to muster up a good old no in the face of all of that and accept as hard as it may be the word that God speaks over your life. You have to replace the lies with truth, and the only way to do it is with your mouth. You can't just agree with it. You know, as I've been preaching this sermon, the Holy Spirit, we just read, he confirms the word. So as I'm preaching these things, the Holy Spirit's going, yeah, yeah, that's true. I agree, but listen to me. It's not going to work in your life until you speak it. God is not looking for your agreement. He wants you to cooperate in a system with a two-edged sword where you speak what he said. It adds life to it, spirit to it, and it changes you and the way you perceive yourself in this world. You start to think God's thoughts, and it changes circumstances out in this world to the glory of God. Wow. Oh, Pastor Joe, I'm never going to overcome. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. 
God has a plan for me. He is my rock, my redeemer. God is taking me to places I've never seen before. I've got new heights in him. I am not where I was. I'm not where I want to be. But God, you have me on a journey, and I'm going to become the man and woman of God you've called me to be. We need to armor up. We add the spirit to the sword by speaking it. Two mouth, double-edged. You speak it. I can't stand up here and speak it for you. Your spouse can't. Your kids can't. You have to do this for yourself. It's a you thing. And when you do it, it'll change things. We need to be the people of God who have the sword of the Spirit. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And then when the attack comes, when the bad news hits, when the bad doctor's report, the bill, whatever it might look like, when that hits, you're going to have a word bubble up in you. And you're going to say, it's small, but that's okay, because I trust God. Things with God often start small, but they always end. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for meeting us in this place God, I thank you for your word, your eternal, awesome, amazing word that changes lives, changes family trees, heals bodies. God, I thank you that you sent your word and it healed us. God, I I pray for people that are are chewing on this right now. They know they got to speak it. They got to get it out of their mouth. They agree with it. God, show them that they don't have to be a weirdo. They can do this in the context of their personality. They can begin to agree with their spouse or loved one or family with a prayer partner on the word of God. That God, as they begin to do that in their home, the atmosphere is going to lift in that place with a double-edged sword. God, I pray that they wouldn't just agree with the armor of God, that they would take it up. God, let this be the field guide for their spiritual warfare. And Lord, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that hears a message like this, and it resonates, that yes is there, but they don't have a relationship with you, through Jesus, help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just one more minute. just want to talk to you. How you doing? Is your life right with God? Whatever that means. And if it's not, friend, the relief you're looking for is, is having that relationship with God. But the only way to do it, the Bible says, it is through Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, will be saved. What does that mean? It means that you call him boss. You give up the ownership and, and kingship and godship over your life, and you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Scripture says that when you do that, you avoid a Christless hell, that you gain an eternity in heaven when you die. But friend, listen, that eternal life doesn't need to start when you die. It starts the moment you accept him. The peace you're looking for, it's on the other end of Amen. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. We're going to pray in just a minute, and and if you mean it, from the bottom of your heart, you'll be saved. If you say this like it's poetry, friend, you'll leave this place the same way you came in, but your life can be changed. I sense in my heart like there's people that need to give their life to Christ in this room today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to pray this prayer out loud together, all of us in the room. Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. 
I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hallelujah. Great job. Let me just say, we're not going to embarrass you either. We're cheering because we're excited. We know the freedom that's on the other end of the prayer you just prayed, but you got to let somebody know. The connection card we talked about for first-time visitors, if you'd be willing to fill it out, I'm going to send you a note in the mail talking about next steps in Jesus. You need to know. I don't want you waking up Monday morning being like, what did I sign up for? I want you to know the next steps that God has for you. And you can do this privately. Fill out that connection card. People aren't going to know if you're a visitor, if you have a prayer request. You can leave it on your seat. You can put it in the Dropbox, or you can leave it at guest services. But please do fill that out. And if you came with somebody that accepted Christ, be there for them. Hold their hand through this thing. You know that they need those next steps just like you did. Church, one more time. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hallelujah. Yeah. Stand up on your feet. Did y'all enjoy the first part of our series, Field Guide? Yeah? Hope that you enjoyed it, and, and it's only going to heat up. Next week, I'm going to be here and uh, giving a message I think is really going to change your mind about how we pray, and it's not a sissy thing. It's going to be a bit, very strong thing. Uh, I have a couple of announcements before I pray for you. Uh, the first one is that New Chapel Connect, it's happening right now over inside the grow room. And so if you miss that today, it's no big deal. Next week during nine o'clock and during the 11 o'clock, you can go over there and, and attend that class. Meaning that you can sit one and attend that class. You can have church and be able to go there. That has helped so many people from first service and I believe it's gonna be a blessing for you. What's the class all about? It's your opportunity for those of you that are interested to join the church, but also just find out more about us, even if you don't want to do that, about who we are, where we're going, and how maybe you can fit in with all of that. We talk a lot about purpose and your purpose. It's a value-added experience where we help you understand the purpose that God has in your life. Please do attend it if you've never attended it. Next week is your time to be a part of that. Uh, one final announcement before I pray for us, and that is this. Last week, I uh, told you that we were going to have a personal safety class, and I was amazed at the response. We were initially only thinking about 30 people were going to be a part of this, and 30 people signed up within the first seven days. And so, uh, typical Pastor Joe style, let's make it bigger. And here's the idea with this. It is all about personal safety, but through the process of this class, it is your opportunity to earn uh, concealed pistol license, a CPL, makes it so that you can have a gun with you while you're out and about that's concealed. Now, Pastor Joe, why are our church people interested in doing this? Why are you spearheading? I just preached to you how the world's lost its mind. And I have a wife that I happen to care about greatly. And she's taken this class with me. Guys, gentlemen, I would encourage you to have your wives attend this. In fact, we've had, Stacey, you said that you'd be a part of doing that and, and helping us with the ladies to help because there's a whole portion that's target practice. If you don't have a gun, that's okay. It's $75 if you do have a gun. If you don't have one, you can rent one from this person for $25 because we're going to be at the range. We want to make sure that you know how to do it. And uh, it's to educate you on how to take care of yourself in a very, very wild world. You say, would, would Jesus promote this? Jesus did promote this. He talked about having a sword. His disciples came back and, and they said, we, we cast out demons. We did all the things. He said, did you have a sword? They said, no. He said, go sell your coat 
get a sword. Well, Peter heard it. He went and bought two swords and came back. He wanted to be packing. And he said, Jesus, I have two. Is this good? And Jesus says, that's good enough for the trip, you know. And so Jesus promotes personal protection. Don't let one person, don't let one person make you feel bad about that. You understand me? It is a Christian right first. Our rights come from God. Then it's a legal right. I encourage you to take part in it. Let's blow up the class and have a billion people here. But this is going to be the last week I offer signups. It's going to be on the 19th, starting at 8 a.m. here at the church. Sign up is over at guest services. Get your place, and we'll make space for you no matter what. I encourage you to do it. Can you all give your pastor a little love? That was a hard announcement to give. Babe, come on up. Hey, power was out at our house this morning. We woke up at 2 a.m., and so I had to go at 5 a.m. this morning, and I'm officially a resident over at the Holiday Inn North over on Walker. And so... Uh, we get it, but we, we're not canceling church for anybody, A. And then B, I love you. I knew this message was going to help. We walk our house and pray for you. We believe the best is yet to come. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great week, guys.